Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. These walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. After long enough, you get so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. Good old Shawshank Redemption. Sometimes it sums it up. In this episode, we're going to be talking about probation, parolee, correction control, people, life outside of prison. But before we do that, Nick, how are you? And what are you drinking? Doing great. Just enjoying a little Coors Light. Always good to start the episode off with a Shawshank quote. What about you? How are you doing? What are you drinking? Uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the vodka name for it, so I'm just going to say with vodka. Well, you're not wrong. So, being outside the cell, life after prison. Boy, Nick, this is a mountain, and there are a lot of things that come along with it. Going out onto parole, for those who don't know, is a way to serve your sentence without serving your sentence inside the prison system. So, for example, Nick's get convicted of five years for illegally smuggling trees. He might only have to serve two and get out early on on probation and only serve another year or two years on probation. So that means he has to check in, you know, do all these tests, have certain things taken away from him, can't go out of state. We'll get more into that. But the process of becoming a parolee is uh, an extensive one hard one, and one that doesn't usually happen. So a parolee is a person who got approved. Approved from what? Well, there's a parole board. And when you're in both either jail or prison, jail being you spend your term sentence less than a year, and prison being your term sentence over a year, I believe that's correct, so that's felony misdemeanor. a parole board will come to you after you serve some time, say, hey, are you institutionalized are you reformed are you blah 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 and they will vote on it hear what you have to say see if you're taking any classes see if you're doing any work see talk to other guards and uh, other employees at the prison to see how you're doing if you'll be a good person out and then they vote decide to let you out or let you in or keep you in this process has a very low number you got to imagine that these parole boards are deciding to release either someone who's reformed or a dangerous criminal. So they tend to shut down more than let people out. So I definitely see where they're coming from. And I thought it was also very interesting to note that women actually have a higher chance of parole than men. But since I mentioned education a little bit, Nick, I think you did some research on education inside the prison system and outside. Education is probably the number one factor from what I came across of reducing recidivism. And that goes a long ways and it needs to be coupled with a few things that we'll probably get into later. But what do prisoners do all day? You know, they, not every prison has like a work thing. So a lot of times they don't really do anything productive where a lot of states now are bringing in education programs. And mostly it's to help people who graduate who didn't graduate high school get their GEDs which will make them more hireable but some are going beyond that and you can get an associates some you can even get a bachelor's now 
when with increasing levels of education comes increasing or decreasing rates of recidivism. And so part of the the problem with the education is one like access to education. Um from everything that we know about prisons and I came across a lot of conflicting things, but I think we can all agree while they're not the most well-funded entity branch of the government. There's not a lot of Andy DeFrames getting entire libraries built in the prison. Exactly. So, but one of the things is, you know, like a lot of learning, especially now, takes place online and getting computers and all that stuff for people is, oh, it's a lot of money. And the thing is, and it's actually, yep. Specialized software, so because you don't want the convicted felons or convicted people to have free range on the internet. I mean, they are serving a punishment. Exactly. Well, luckily, we know that the U.S. makes a lot of internet monitoring devices <laughs> for communist countries, so we should have that covered. I wish we could call it. Is it Cisco who does all that? So we should be good there. But yeah, so you can't have these people. You know, looking up whatever they want. There needs to be a program. But it is kind of crazy to me that, uh, you know, with all the online stuff that you'd think they could come up with, you know, a cost-effective program of classes that you can watch at your own pace. Because it's not like school, right? Like, you don't have a class of prisoners coming in. There's a constant ebb and flow. So you can't always start a class a semester. But if you had individual computers and the prisoner was able to complete classes at his own rate of whenever he started by himself, you know, maybe to work towards a GED and then he can do the test. That was something. Um, If I can point out here, I saw a lot of, from background information, classes being done in prisons. Um, They might have less of a semester structure, but from what I could tell, they were kind of, quick refresh rate so it wasn't exactly um six months for a bunch of courses and stuff like that they were uh, a little bit more frequent so yeah uh, and that's yeah one of the things is it's this is so very scattered it is almost like there's in Andy dufresne or someone like some prisons you can get a master's and some you can barely get a ged in oh yeah uh, there is not equal all across the board. There are definitely some prisons far better than others, at least if you want to improve yourself or at least have more tools to better yourself so you don't repeat the same mistakes and education probably being one of the main ones. Yeah, so uh, give you some numbers here. According to Northwestern, so Recidivism decreases with education, and it not only does it decrease with education, the more education, the lower the rate of recidivism. So uh, for those prisoners who just participate in prison education programs, 43% reduction in recidivism rate of the 76.6% of prisoners who are released and then back into the system within five years of their release. Half... You can, 43% of that percentage goes down if there's education um, just in in the program, not even just, not passing, just participation. So if you get uh, an associate's, only 14% of prisoners who were released with an associate's degree went back to prison. 
5.6% who obtained a bachelor's degree went back to prison, and 0% for those who obtained a master's degree went back to prison. That is extremely impressive. And for those who might not know, a lot of people who are on parole, they get back to prison. Whether it be a small mistake or a big mistake, which we'll talk about more later in the podcast, but since we're talking about statistics and facts, um, the U.S. Department of Justice Bureau of Justice Statistics, boy, that's a mouthful. seems like the English named that one. Uh, about two-thirds, 68% of prisoners released, will be rearrested for a new crime within three years from releasing from prison. And three-quarters, more specific, uh, precisely 77%, will be arrested within five years. So lowering it down to 14%, you said for a bachelor's, Nick, that is incredible that is decimating the numbers or the chances of someone recommitting a crime and not only does is there less chance of crime but it is cost effective at the same time so um uh, so the um university of california at la did a study about the cost of you know how much goes into prisons how much goes into education and what they found out is that if you put one million dollars in an incarceration uh that will prevent 350 crimes but if you put one million dollars into education that will prevent 600 crimes and as another study found that for every dollar that the u.s government puts into prison education we save somewhere in between four to five dollars in reincarceration cost during the first couple of years, and that's basically because those that person's not going back to prison. You prevented that crime, so that te- that money is saying, "This is how much we're saving by we can spend it another dollar here, that so we don't have to spend four to five dollars later." And if I can add on, if that person's not going back to prison, it means they're probably working a job, which means they're probably paying taxes which means more money is getting to the government and more money is being circulated around in that district. Um, and it's, so people say, okay, why is that good for, you know, say someone who's doing a life sentence, you know, they're not coming back into the world, you know, our world, but the, the benefits of doing these classes, especially when they're classes, not just online classes is um, prisoners who are inside, who are enrolled in, college classes committed 75% less infractions than other prisoners who were not enrolled. Now, that goes back to that first thing we talked about with the higher level of education. So I'm curious, I don't have the statistics for just being enrolled in the class, how much that reduces the the rate of infractions. But uh, you, so you have less infractions or less you know problems in the prison that makes it safer for everyone but another benefit of in class or sorry in prison classes is that it combines people from all sorts of racial backgrounds which is a big dividing in big division in prison and so that helps also reduce problems in prison can't we all just get along i do think it since we are talking about uh, parolees and probation, I think it is important to know, um, from my personal stance, uh, parolees, at least what I can see, were more non-extreme crimes, if that makes sense. 
like uh when researching this i was doing uh watching some documentaries listening to some podcasts a lot of these um people who were convicted the most egregious crime i saw for personal probation was um armed robbery which is not great but it's definitely not killing someone like you mentioned nick uh someone who might be getting a life sentence or a very long time. Yes, that helps inside the prison, but I don't think the focuses are on that for rehabilitation, for the education. Like, um, for say, I imagine very easily a program where, hey, if you have, I don't know, only two years because you, uh, you got busted for Grand Theft Auto, you are allowed to take these classes. But if you're a serial killer, no, 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 no. You have to have so many years inside prison of good behavior before you're allowed to take those classes. I want to just point out that factor of probation also depends on the crime you committed. And I think that should also merit to the education or at least the tools you're allowed access to in prison. Yeah, and one of the common things I ran across is factors for entry into an education system. And a lot of it is release date within five years. Because they can't provide, you know, this program to everyone with current funding and in certain places it just doesn't work. But, you know, for people who are doing, you know, about to re-enter society, they can give those people like up their higher priority than someone who's serving a life sentence. Because they, they need it to give them a leg up as they re-enter. Out of curiosity, Nick, uh, I know for doing prison work, you're not allowed to put that on your resume. Are you allowed to put the degree you get in prison on your resume? Can you not put the prison work on your resume? I was listening. People are saying they put, like, if they worked in the kitchen or they worked in something at the prison, that they put that on their resume and they put Department of Corrections as the employer. Ah, see, I was coming across, I came across one where uh, they were helping with natural disasters in their area, like a, uh, they were doing. They were a firefighting program, and they were not allowed. I think, it was, of course, I think it might have been California actually, which kind of makes sense now saying it out loud. But they were not allowed to put it on the resumes. I guess it, it does vary state by state. So maybe some states allow it, some states don't. Yeah, that's true. It could be a state by state thing. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't come across that. You would think that that is, is that maybe like don't put on your resume that you were in prison, or is it? a law that saying don't put your prison work on the resume because i know i only worked with the i don't know the technical term but the convict crew up in idaho and they would you know get experience firefighting and then a lot of convicts because it's all like low crime like whatever petty crime stuff when they get out they have a skill so that they can go out and get a job that most of them put that you know on their resume or made connections through the program that allowed them to get hired i uh, see what i saw with the same scenario was uh the state wouldn't allow them to put it on their resume they were not allowed to use that information they were not allowed to use, say that they were firefighters well to be fair we could not have picked two more vastly different states to compare of california <laughs> and idaho so i don't know touche so i assume then if idaho allows you to put your resume on it i assume many states then at least allow you to put your education on it yeah, I'm sure you. I mean, well, I. It's I almost what's the surprised. point of an education without you know without being able to tell people like that's the whole point of the piece of paper. But I'm with Nick. Just like because it makes sense, 
doesn't mean that the government allows it. (laughs) What's that Mark Twain quote? I want you to imagine yourself as an idiot. (laughs) And then I want you to imagine that you were a congressman. But I repeat myself. (laughs) Yeah, I I fucking love that quote. I need to get that framed somewhere. Uh, But yeah, uh, I'm, I'm all for it. More education, the better. I don't care who's getting it, just... Education in general is the better. Hey, you know, teachers who wanted to earn more money, they could teach at prisons during the summer. There you go. There you go. That's uh, two birds, one stone right there, if I ever heard one. Or maybe you do like a program, like there's not enough jobs going around. Well, we can send teachers or, hey, if you want to get extra credits, teach at a, teach at a prison. Yeah. Yeah, like... Uh... How you have to have keep enough certain like credits to keep maintain like a current license, you know, like um, I could be completely making this up, but don't lawyers have to like take on like do a certain amount of like free cases for people or something, uh, or like help do like some kind of thing where they have to like help pe- a certain amount of people. What if like I don't know if it, once a year teachers had to go to like a prison to teach like a class or something? I don't I don't know spitballing i have no idea about that lawyer stuff uh i i i know space and that is uh <laughs> that is it but yeah uh education i mean just getting more skills in general uh like you mentioned nick like the convict crew like uh and my mind comes back to the chain gang which kind of has some dark history but maybe we could modify that to have more prisoners do more road work i mean they gotta be already better than the department of transportation yeah well and that's yeah great point not only about department of transportation but uh (laughs) jobs in prison i know like the guys i worked with they're really happy to be doing the firefighting because one it is way more exciting than being in prison oh you're telling me staring (laughs) at four walls that are exactly the same with no colors is is boring nick that's 100 percent uh you know, it's not as it's just not as much fun as uh, fighting wildfires in America's beautiful wilderness. I, I don't somewhere there's a di- it's you know, I often can't decide between which two I'd rather do. <laughs> Sometimes one of those things seems like the other one of those things. But that's one of them sounds like a colonoscopy the other sounds like a nice tall glass of whiskey uh i know which one i would choose yep but sometimes you drink too much whiskey and you'd rather have the colonoscopy (laughs) every everything in moderation but no but those guys they do it and not only do they not be in prison which is like the main goal but they come away with an actual skill which you know that's right now where everyone's looking for an employee looking for work i know i know there a lot of emergency hirings going on right now for that very field having experience is is really going to help you and golden ticket yeah it doesn't always need to be you know firefighting is is hard to build hard for convicts to go back into or people who are previously convicted to go back into because you work a lot and then you have a lot of free time and i think uh, as this is from like something from a long time ago so if i'm if it's not true i just like could have heard this in passing i'm just kind of get brought up with this conversation but someone's saying because they have like so much free time like you got like four months where you're not doing stuff that you're likely 
and just regular firefighters are likely to get into trouble during those months. So like, it's not a convict thing. It's just, you know, idle hands are the devil's work. Yeah. You work your ass off, make a shit ton of money for most of the year. Then you got like three months off, you know? Yeah. Most of the time it's probably, it's thing. It's just like a drinking and driving thing, which is also a very common, like wildland firefighter thing. It seems like, but, uh, yeah, it, uh, so, you know, but they definitely, they come out and they get a job right, like, pretty quickly. And I know there's certain crews um, who will, you know, there's certain fire crews who are veteran crews who are like, you know, you had to be a veteran to get on or like a certain percentage are made up of veterans. There's other crews who are like previous conviction crews of people who started out doing the prison stuff. And so it's just all people who went through the program, you know, they got out, now they're coming back to do the firefighting. And so they can help the other guys get through, you know, that first year, which is one of the, the toughest, I guess. Speaking of the toughest, uh, like we said, most are deny parole. Many, more than more than 75%, will commit a crime in the five years and go back to it. And just an idea of how many people are on probation or parole or some form. 6.7 million people are on probation or parole in some form. That's one out of 50 people are under some sort of parole board, parolee. That's, Nick, that's a lot of people. One out of 50. And let's say you make it past probation board. There is now a long list of rules. Doesn't matter what you did or how much time your parole is or the education or work you did in jail. Pretty much you are drug tested on the regularly. And randomly, uh, you can't allow, you're not allowed to visit certain people. You're blacklisted. Uh, you can't visit certain areas. If, uh, I saw that very common where certain neighborhoods you weren't allowed to go back to, like your old neighborhood, say, where you convicted the crime. Um, you can't travel outside the state without the written permission of your parole officer. You can't be late to a meeting. And I mean, if you're two minutes late, they can send you back to weapon. Uh, back to prisons, no weapons in some, uh, not even knives in some states. You're not even allowed to have a pocket knife on you. And the Fourth Amendment kind of means nothing to you. I saw a lot of states where you are not pr- protected from parole, uh, parole officers or officers, and they can search you, which would otherwise be unwarranted and it would be a legal search. But since you're a parolee, they're allowed to do so. So how do people with all these rules kind of start off well a lot of them start off in halfway homes which to me seems like a nice step from education to being reintroduced in society i mean it's a big i guess i want to i wanted to start a little before that of like immediately getting out of prison please then Uh, uh, carry away so i didn't know this but immediately getting out of prison a lot of times you owe the state money and one of the things that you need to do is start paying the state money because... Oh, your fines, your tax, <laughs> yeah. Oh, also yeah, child alimony. Yeah, that. And then, so what do you got to do? You got to get a job, right? But you can't, you know, if you have someone on the outside, then they can, you know, start sending out your resume and and doing that. But you can't, you know, take phone calls from prison and, you know, set up interviews and stuff. So you need someone on the outside to set up all that. But also, how are you going to get around? Most people's driver's licenses expire after, uh, you know, going through 
however many years they spent in prison after five years or so because you can't renew it from prison. I think you can now that a lot of them are online. Someone can renew it for you. But Uber gets expensive fast. Yeah, and so a lot of people, you know, as soon as they get out of prison, they got to go straight to the DMV, but they can't get your driver's license, so you pay all your fines to the state. And some of those fines are like 20000 all the way to like 150000 to like 600000 Which is hard to pay back if you can't get to work because you don't have a car. Also, it's hard to pay back some of those numbers if you have a job and been working the entire time. Yeah, ex- well, exactly. And I just, that was something that I, it's not a huge point, but I just like, man, like for the amount of money, could we not just have like a driver's ed teacher just like at these bigger prisons who just, oh, it's the week before your release. Like, let's just fucking go through the program and pass the driving test so that, you know, it's, these guys have like a fighting chance when they get out. I mean, to be, how much does a driver's ed teacher cost? Well, going on the role of pissing off government agencies, I mean, the people at the DMVs aren't exactly always busy. They're already the, slow as hell. That's a good point, Mike. Let's think about it. These people, these guys who, who are motivated to make a change, you get out of prison and where do you go? The DMV. Can you imagine? That is the most depressing place <laughs> to get out of prison. And like... like these guys will leave prison and go to the DMV and a lot of them they're like you would think they'd be like oh let's go eat and shit like that it's like they're like I gotta get a car so I can get a job and shit like that it's like and they're like this guy he's like I didn't even eat you know like really like oh this is the thing I wanted to eat for so long I was just trying to get all like my paperwork and shit through I mean just for me a dude who hasn't been to prison I I have to like take a fucking days like a month to do all the like bullshit pay this bill and that bill and give the figure out what i need to pay the state and all that bullshit just for working for a month like i can't imagine how much paperwork you got to do you know getting out of prison but also i can't imagine how depressing it is to be free for the first time in let's say a minimum of five years and you drive to the department of motor vehicles when it rains, it pours. Uh, but two things. Uh, I think for, at least for me, before researching this, I always got the movie stereotype of like the first thing we're going to go get, we're going to go to the strip club and we're going to get a nice cheeseburger. We're going to like, uh, gone in 60 seconds. Like first thing I got out of prison was I got a fat, greasy cheeseburger with a chocolate shake. I always thought it was like that, but no, it's really like rush, 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 get paperwork. And I imagine the second thing, the ima- I imagine if say, you broke up with your girlfriend at this time or someone like your roommate was kind of a scumbag, didn't really pay attention, might have threw away your stuff. So you might not have your social security card and birth certificate anymore. So to prove who you are is even harder. So imagine trying to find all these forms, which they could be in a box somewhere in your mom's house. They could be at your ex-wife's house, wife's house, your kid's house. It, you don't know. You've been in prison for like three years they probably put it in a box and just kind of collecting dust you got to find it now to go to the dmv to get a driver's license so then you can start applying your resume to then go to a job but somehow get a car or either borrow a car or something like that it's boy they have to hit the ground running that's for sure yeah so two points one i have access to the internet and i don't know what fucking shit i need to go to the dmv i was trying to register my my car and I looked online and I had everything it said. And then the lady's like, 
oh, well, you you forgot to fill out this form. Like, well, it doesn't say that in line. She's like, yeah, it's not updated yet. How the fuck is someone in prison supposed to know that? Oh, especially a person who had probably had to take like an Uber or taxi had, or yeah. Something. And then we're, they can't go home to get their shit. Like what? It, it's crazy. So one of the things that I thought would be really beneficial is you have like a packet, right? When you are released from prison, you have you took your driving test already. You got your driver's license. You got a copy of your birth certificate. You have a like an ID. You have all the sh- like just shit you need to be a person in society and like you know all that stuff is right there and so you you're you're set because we have programs in oregon to get um like homeless people we the state will pay to get their like find their birth certificate like all this stuff for them and and get them copies so they can get a job so the infrastructure is already in place and you have like five years to get this paperwork at the minimum. That's if they don't get parole earlier or something like that. Exactly at the minimum. So you think like the state could do that? I mean, really, like, is it that hard just to you know someone goes into prison, thing pops up, goes to the you know hospital with the social security number, shit sent back to there, put in the fucking file cabinet. When they're released, they get that and the rest of their stuff. Like, I mean, I'm sure you get a shit ton of paperwork when you're released from prison. Maybe the stuff that could like help you would would be beneficial. I actually thought about this. Uh, that's why I was going to bring up the halfway homes. So most halfway homes, I believe, are 90 days, and they have strict rules, which I'll get into later. But I thought about extending that into, like, 180 days. So it's uh, the first 90 days is not you trying to find a job, not you trying to get all these stuff. It's you getting your driver's license, getting, I don't know, uh, in the meantime, you're doing community service. That way you're still paying a, a price for whatever you did um and then they can help you build your resume to get it out you can start to you have a place where you can get phone calls and uh, uh get you know to set up interviews and maybe they have like a taxi service at the same time but since they're getting your driver's license there you could skew there uh you don't have to have a taxi service so uh, i see the halfway homes being very beneficial and i thought of them saw them overall be very beneficial for people entering parole because it's still under guidance and supervision and still kind of prison-esque but they have a lot more freedoms like they still have a curfew still no drugs no alcohol but i think that would be a perfect time to have them you know get the driver's license get their forms um start applying for jobs etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah and that that's it's another point of like the like you mentioned you know, a lot of people go directly into the halfway homes. Well, a lot of other people are staying in those halfway homes too, who also are, you know, people who just got out of prison. And some of them may be parole violators or something. And a lot of, one of the things of being on parole or probation is you can't live within a certain amount of like certain criminals. And a lot of times that's where that stuff is likely to take place, you know, because you have a lot of recently released. Oh, it's definitely, there. yeah, I, I agree with that as a dual-edged sword, but Maybe we can reform the uh, halfway yeah. houses to be I more. Think, yeah, uh, probably. I think that's a whole nother episode because there's like government subsidy housing here and uh, it's got a 15 year wait list. Jesus Christ. Yeah. In 15 years, people probably aren't going to be on, you know, the whatever thing. But people still it's it's so fucked up. <laughs> like uh, when I say here, I mean, in Oregon, I'm not going to say where I live, but. Yeah, the people who live Oregon's there... Oregon's ugly. You should not move there. It's ugly, and you shouldn't move there, and our government sucks. 
but uh one one of those things is true um, <laughs> but uh like the people who live there now because it has this huge waiting list they all have like super nice cars because you have to pay just like a small percentage of your income so even if you tell the truth about your income you're you should rent still really small so it's crazy that like a government subsidies housing like no joke i lived across the street from it i've seen a corvette and like several escalades parked back there it's like are you fucking kidding me yeah 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 but uh kind of staying on back on topic uh jobs that's a big one i want to talk about i can't imagine how hard it is to get a job with like a five-year gap on your resume i also know we we my company the company i work for we're gonna hire someone who had a one-year gap that he took off like to you know do you know see the world or whatever the fuck and it was like oh fuck this guy took a one-year gap off like does he have no work ethic well what is five years gone or more yeah uh how i mean then you got to explain to it i was in prison and uh i think it's by law for a company they can deny you if you were a felon i think they're allowed to do that i don't because some i think companies okay. are allowed. yes they can um but there's a good reason so i mean maybe not a good reason but a, a a reasonable reason that I, I I think this makes sense. So say if, you know, you do your background check for a job and it comes up that you are a felon and then that felon hurts someone, if that employer hired them knowing that they had been to prison and were a felon, they're now liable for any damage that that person does. Why? Uh, because of lawyers. Yeah, but if you served your sentence, aren't you just kind of, uh, shouldn't you just be done and it's not so that brings me up to another point which i was going to touch on later of uh the government stand behind your product you know if you're gonna put someone in prison for that long the idea is that they've been reformed and if they're not reformed then they shouldn't be released yeah if if you stood behind your product saying that 14 you know whatever it is five years and they will be good to go then yes i agree like you're that I want to talk about this more at the end of the podcast, but I that's a very interesting conversation with that. I but I thought speaking with the jobs and hiring, uh in some states you're able to deny a person a job if they were arrested and not convicted in certain states. So if you got I don't know, miscategorized, like say, hey, there was a guy fishing who killed a couple kids and they arrested you, Nick. Even though they let you go, you were innocent, they didn't convict you, they didn't trial you, you could still be denied a job, depending on the state, simply because you were arrested. Yeah, I believe it. How the hell is that okay? Isn't it innocent until proven guilty? Just because it makes sense doesn't mean that's the way the government does it. The theme theme of the podcast, really. The theme of my life, actually. (laughs) Well, sticking with all that, if... Uh, so we're talking about employment. It's that's a big part of being on parole and probation is employment. If you don't find a job, they can send you back to jail. And here another kicker is if you lose the job, they can send you back to jail. Uh, I think this is really important to know. Halfway homes they require you get a job. Your parole officer, your your parole your parole term slash sentence slash agreement is you have to get a job. And all these like minor violations, depending on your parole officer, can just send you to prison. Like I'm not, I'm not joking. If you were five minutes late, 
Megan sends you to prison. Five minutes late to a meeting. That's, there's so many variables on that. It's not fair. Now, granted, there are a lot of good parole officers out there who won't do that. I mean, hell, I saw a lot of parole officers that even though the uh, parolee was using drugs again, let them stay on it. Like, like, hey, you're going to go through this, you know, detox center. You're going to go to this uh, rehab center. Uh, you're going to keep going through your probation. Uh, but even though they had the full ability and full power to send them back to prison. But for a person to lose their job, it might not be their mistakes. Like, I imagine we're in this very weird time where a lot of jobs, unskilled jobs are available. Well, what happens during the pandemic? I was very curious if what happened during the pandemic with all these jobs not existing anymore because everything's closed, shut down, stuff like that. Because a lot of the jobs for parolees are minimum wage jobs. I mean, you have a gap in your resume. You are a convicted felon. A lot of the companies that only hire on is flipping burgers, washing dishes, minimum wage, not exactly the best jobs. Well, apparently... Didn't do so great for the people on parole during COVID. It was mixed results of being sent back to prison, repeating crimes, and getting cleaned up and, you know, taking advantage of it. About 50-50 mix. And I don't know if you saw any about anything about that, Nick. I was curious about it, but I didn't actually research it. Um, so I'll have to take your word for it. Well, it's really weird because COVID changed some things. Um so one. I guess my one thought is they kind of did it backwards. Do you remember at the very beginning of COVID, they released a lot of like lesser offense criminals, but that was when there was no jobs. Now there's a ton of jobs, but I think a lot of those people went back to prison because there was no job, so they had, couldn't get a job, and now they, then they went back to prison is my guess. But I feel like if they had released a bunch of people right now, they'd there would be... We wouldn't be dealing with the unemployment we have, I guess, is what I'm saying. So that's really not exactly true. Uh, so during the COVID pandemic, during Trump's administration, uh, he sent out lo- low-risk uh, convicts to serve their sentence at home confinement. And 4,700, uh, this was kind of a trial, this is uh, during COVID, uh, 4,700 Peop, uh, parolees or convicts, I'm not quite sure because the, the words kept switching and those are two very different things. Out of that 4,700, only five people violated their uh, their rules. And the rest are uh, scared of their parole ability because uh, based on information I found on September 3rd, 2021, Biden might be canceling this program. So you have been for a year and a half not breaking any paroles, but might be sending you back to prison simply because you do not like the former administrator's plan. But I just want to point out, five out of 4,700 did not uh, were the only ones to violate their parole. The rest at home confinement served out their sentence completely. The, I think this is important to note. Uh, the reason why they wanted to do this home confinement was simply to lessen the spread of COVID instead of prisons being cramped and crowded, spread them out a little bit. But... That's very contradictive to me of what you're saying, Nick, of, well, we have all these jobs now. They should be able to find jobs. Well, they can, and some of them do, but they're at risk of even if they are been working for a year and a half since COVID started, since being released into the home for confinement, they can still be sent to prison even though they've been a model citizen or pro uh, prolee. 
which I thought was really weird. Once again, just because it makes sense doesn't mean the government's going to do it. I think I have a title for this episode. I, yeah, no shit. Um, no, I, I, that that makes sense too. Uh, well, <laughs> it, it doesn't sense. make sense, but, but I'm not surprised. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But uh, I wanted to read a little bit more about what I was talking about, um, maybe explain a little better of, so if, say, like, a restaurant or, say, like, a convenience store hired, you know, a, a person who, who's released with a criminal record who was convicted and it was a violent history, um, then, and then that person hurts someone on the job or does something, that company gets you know, that small business, whatever gets sued, the person who's suing them, the first thing they're going to hold up is saying, this person has a violent history. Why would you hire them? They have a violent history. So, and the, there's a national employment law that says that's supposed to air quote, help people get hired. It basically just says that you have to look at, make sure, you know, look at the, how long ago the offense was, you know, what the, how the person's relationship, you know, their job and all this shit. And, and look at evidence of rehabilitation. But most often what happens is in a court of law, someone holds up something that says, this guy's a criminal, why would you hire a criminal? The jury's just like, well, yeah, like you hired a violent criminal. This is what violent criminals do. So there's a program um, or I guess a movement. I don't know what you call it. It's called Ban the Box. Uh, it's basically just to get rid of that box on forms that say, have you ever you know, been convicted of a felony blah 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 like do you consent to a background check saying that they're saying that it's not uh, effective for hiring and it doesn't lessen the the risk of you know other factors um uh, there's a little yep there's a little sidebar tantrum uh i think only on a resume should be your name uh be able to prove who you are your phone number and your work history and slash skills i don't understand why i have to say all these different things and I, I what my skin color is what my age is can i do the job or can i not do the job those I, are all government requirements mike i think you fuck it nick it's the it's the curse of the government dun 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 so and this is the part that you're gonna like mike is this a halloween episode <laughs> no um it's even better it's a Nick Compliments Texas episode. Woo! Let's see this one. So basically, um, one of those few states. Uh, Some would argue does... the best state. <laughs> yes. So Texas um, enacted a ban on negligent hiring lawsuits based on an employee's criminal past. So you you can't not hire someone due to a criminal past in Texas. Damn. There we go, Texas. I don't know if that says how many convicts we have or or how far, or how far we're moving. A little bit of column A, a <laughs> little bit of column B. Yeah, uh, I that's that's really surprising to me. I would not suspect Texas to, to uh, do that. But yeah, I. You live in a very progressive state, Mike. Ah. Uh, depending on the time of day i would say to that to that uh <laughs> that statement all right well you had your one texas compliment for the day so don't expect any more uh yeah uh my state's doing some weird things at the moment so i'm not gonna i'm gonna keep my mouth shut and keep moving forward 
but yes, I I think having the education, so now you're not able to you're able to fill positions that it's not just minimum wage or unskilled labor. But also the idea of, hey, even if you're unskilled labor, you can still get a job. I mean, it's a big risk for a company to take a person on for their, you know, second chance or third chance or fourth chance because a lot of people, unfortunately, uh, fall back into a rut and commit the same crimes over and over again. But it's bravo to the companies taking a chance on a parolee or person, you know, just recently released to... To, to hire them that's gotta be such a nerve-wracking thing for an employee or uh, sorry an employer to do and to i i think we should one help out the employer every time you can because one you're keeping jobs in your own country and well i think we should point this out if you haven't figured it out we're only really talking about america's prison system so for our foreign listeners if you haven't figured that one out you're a bit slow on the ball but also, it kind of helps. And I want to point out, part of the reason is the statistics for comparing this problem internationally is insane. Even just comparing it through states is very difficult because some states, not going to not gonna name names, but California. <coughs> this, oh, sorry. Oh, that, that hurt. Yeah, decides to change certain requirements so that they don't come up on certain things so that it shows that they have a 0% recidivism rate because they change how things are measured. And that's just in one country. So <laughs> in I did a, I read a study where they compared 20 states that had recidivism and their conclusion was the criteria of recidivism is too broad to compare across countries. We can't give a good <laughs> solution because some people count recidivism as, you know, just breaking the law again. So you which, like we said, like could be you went to prison and then you know you had a you know a small amount of marijuana on you, or all the way to you killed someone again. It's just like where you know it's too hard to draw that line. And some a lot of countries don't even track if a person went back to prison. It was one of the main problems is, which I thought was insane. I mean I don't know how you don't track that. I guess I, I have no idea. But anyway, uh, Nick, to point out your uh, point on California, not really seeing its data information uh do you know the old uh chinese proverb that i'm thinking of if you don't uh, like the data you change the numbers <laughs> sun Tzu, the art of war <laughs> uh yeah um but to point out like a lot of repeat offenders uh i also want to point out it's a really hard job for a parole board yes there are some shitty ones and there are some good ones but I imagine it's got to weigh heavy on your conscience of, hey, I released this person and then ended up killing someone. That's got to be heavy on a person's mind. So I imagine that's why they're so strict on the parole boards. Um, oh, it's got to fuck you up. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine you told you told somebody that this person is is reformed and he took a human life? Like, and and there's no way they don't know the statistics of more than three quarters of them are end up back in prison for some offense, whether it be small or, or major, but still you got to know the odds are not in the favor of this person's truly reformed. Yeah. And that's, that's not as much a statement on the parole board as a statement is on the correction system, I guess. But also like, just think about your mood. Like, I don't know for me. So I, I work oh, out in the, Oh, Oh, you know, sorry. Sorry. Uh, this is, this came, uh, so I've been, I've been doing a little, uh, 
thought experiment recently, and this I, I've done some research on it, and this actually came up, the uh, prison board. Um, based on the time of day is when you should ask your boss for a raise, uh, when you should go see the parole board, uh, when you should uh, tell someone bad news, like all these different factors. It's an hour after they eat. So an hour after you know their breakfast or an hour after lunch is the best time to ask the parole board or to ask your boss for a raise or all these different or different factors. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I just thought that was very important. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what I was going to say. So, um, yeah, like I work in the woods for a private company. So during fire season, uh, we close our grounds because if you haven't been watching the news, the entire state of Oregon is on fire. And but not as on not as on fire as the state of California, but people continue to come out in the woods and have bonfires and shoot guns and do all sorts of things that on ground they're not allowed to be on because it's private. And a lot of times they're very sketchy. And how I deal with them really depends on my mood. Like, you know, I'm coming out trying to get something done and I got to go talk to this person who I'm not sure if they're going to try and kill me or they're like this guy I dealt with today. We left a note on his door and he didn't do anything, but we knew he had the radio on and I was going to go knock on his door and I pretty, I was a hundred percent sure I thought I was going to find him OD'd in the cab. And it's just like, you never, like, you never know what you're going to get, but depending on the time of day, it's like, you know, if I've had a good day or something, I'm going to be like nicer to him. But if I'm trying in a hurry, trying to get somewhere, like, I I can't do that for you. Like, I'm not, I'm, I can't jump your car i can't give you a ride like yeah you're just not it's, in the it's mood. very you change your mindset yeah so it, it's got to be tough um it's just yeah well i guess if you're a person on parole or recently from prison try to set up your res- try to set up your job interview after breakfast or lunch i guess is uh merit for that statement but yeah it's hey uh if you're happy and chippy that spreads that eliminates people feed off people's emotions and that sound like a hippie. People give out a uh, aurora. What's it called? Uh, aura. Aura. You give off an aura. Yeah. You can yeah. judge their feelings and whatever the fuck. Yeah. Some might say, like a scientist or a person who believes in science, that you're just reading bio, uh, biological signals and body language. But, you know, tomato, tomato. Yeah. Well, and, that, and that's the thing, too, with, like you're saying, giving off an aura. Like, not saying that this is what happens on parole boards, but if I roll up, you know, to somebody and just a just messed out van with trash everywhere i'm gonna treat that person differently than i am gonna you know if i roll up to somewhere lexus which yeah it's a lexus it's someone who just clearly doesn't know the rules versus someone who this person's been kicked off our grounds before they 100 percent know the rules they just choose to ignore them and also i don't know if what this person's doing and it goes the other way too. I've rolled up on people in the woods who are driving a tricked out Escalade with huge rims unloading uh, barrel, 30 gallon drums of something and generators. It's not the car. It's what the car says about you. That, That's both, some red flags there. <laughs> yeah. The, the, pers- the thing that that person has in common with the like, hundred year old dude with the giant beard and the broke down van is that they're both in the woods making drugs <laughs> if they shake like a tweaker they itch like a tweaker they're probably a tweaker 
yeah exactly so it but you know it again it's all even though you know you still have these ideas about people when you pull up it's still i feel like it's a lot it's really mood based i mean if i'm in like a pretty good mood i'll help a tweaker out you know i mean i'm not gonna let him <laughs> bold move cotton the, but <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not gonna let him in the car but i'll hook up a toe strap and pull him out of the ditch you know social distancing help <laughs> well i think we hit jobs pretty well unless you have something else to say about jobs because i'd like to switch to voting yeah we can switch to voting I'm going to be um, completely honest. I didn't really cover that too much, but we can talk about it. So a lot of things are changing in the voting world, especially 2020 and 2021. Uh, for prisoners and prolies and people completely finished with their sentencing, uh, voting is changing. Um, most cannot vote in prison, but as in 2021, or no, as in 2020, sorry about that, in Vermont, Maine, and the District of Columbia, they are now allowing voting in prison. And in 2021, Connecticut, New York, and Washington gave back voting rights to parolees. So depending on what state you are, if you're on parole, you can't vote. If you are not on parole, you completely finish out your sentence, you still not might be able to vote. It varies state by state. But it seems like more people are saying, hey, after you've after you've served your sentence, after you serve your time, you can vote again. And which I thought was very interesting. This is a very neutral topic. Both uh, I saw a study. Both Republicans and Democrats agreed pretty much wholeheartedly across the board. Not wholeheartedly, agreed evenly is a better word choice. That after they serve their sentence, they should be allowed to vote again. And I thought that was a very come together. Like hey. You served your time, you did your penance, you can make decisions again. And I think that's very important be, uh, because I think voting is huge. I think it's a very important part of being a citizen and being back in society of having a voice. I agree um, that it, you know, having voting is definitely an important part of being a part of society. And I guess this is kind of a two part answer for me. I'm torn on on whether, you know, people who committed a crime should be allowed to vote i I could see it being you know felony dependent you know maybe we have to change what a a felony is or isn't because in in the in my ideal world this and again just because this makes sense doesn't mean the government's going to do it but this is how i see it i see it as the in say we do a prison reform the, the thing that makes the most sense to me is an increase in prison education so you go to prison and you come out with at least a GED, maybe an associates, um, you know, most likely an associates or a trade school, maybe a bachelor's, unlikely a master's, but apparently it's happening. And I feel like that's kind of like, you know, you get a lot of benefits from that. And I just feel like there needs to be some kind of punishment, you know, for going to prison. Cause like, if what we're talking about is you go away for five years for doing something and then you come out with an education that people on the outside can't afford and you know like there's nothing else there like i feel like they're you know we're almost taking away the the punishment from crime and and this is might be a more moral a moral a more discussion on what is the purpose of prison is it punishment or reform reformation um and this might be a whole episode in itself but i i 
I understand, you know, not having a voice like that. That sucks, especially if you are, you know, reformed, like you're saying, and you, you're doing everything in society like a normal guy. You just can't vote like that's your that was your right. But part of going, you know, being convicted is sacrificing your your rights. Like when you commit a crime, you are saying I'm I couldn't do the society thing. But I also understand the side of the government said this person served their time. The judge assigned this time. They're saying that this was this is how much they need to do to become back in the society. So why is it when they come back that they don't have all their rights? And I guess the question is right now, it's like, yeah, prison sucks. Then maybe when you come out, you'd get it. But why would we not? Why would why would I be okay with someone? Not that education matters, but why am I like, oh, you know what? If they don't get educated, they can vote. But if they get an education, they can't vote. That seems weird. That seems very weird to me. And to give my two cents on this, um, I think it's dependent on the crime. So if you're, you know, uh, if you killed a kid and you served a 25-year sentence, maybe, maybe you don't get voting rights. But if you just got like a drug offense... I don't really care. You can vote. Um, the main reason why I think you should be able to vote after serving your sentence, and this is this again, this is not a caveat because don't, don't get me wrong. I would like to have a lot of ifs in different scenarios in the situation, but if I had to choose a black and white of can they vote after uh, being convicted after serving their sentence versus not uh, versus not, I would say yes mainly because I am a student of history and I've seen totalitarian governments throw their people into jail. They might be innocent, might be, you know, only do a small offense. And that's a great way to take away people's power is simply take away their right to vote and choose. So I think it's a nece- it's a delicate issue, but it's necessary to allow people who've served their time to vote. The thing that I found very interesting was people voting in prison. I get that if you have like a bad government and throwing everyone in jail, but I think it all comes down to the crime. But uh, having your choice of who you vote for while you are serving a sentence seems a bit odd. I'm not completely sold on that. That being said, isn't America? I, the- yeah, I, I I definitely agree with that. We're I'd say I'm much more likely to agree that once someone's out, they can vote. But to me, that seems like easy votes of all you have to do is say, oh, I'm going to make prisons better and free votes. Doesn't matter. You know what? And I think, and this is, this is like a good, more to play devil's advocate. Politicians say a bunch of things to get extra votes. Tilt to whirl operators are this nation's backbone. Um, (laughs) But that's completely true. And this is this is why this is a completely separate issue. This is why I don't think federal employees should be allowed to vote for like federal representatives who are advocating for a higher wage for federal employees. Why would I not vote for the person who's going to pay me more? If you're in prison, your only skin in the game is prison, right? Like if I'm in prison, I don't have I don't have a skin in the game of how well the economy is doing. I don't have skin in the game of this law versus that law. My literally only concern is how well the prison's doing. I can be a single issue voter the entire time because that's literally the one issue that affects me. Seems a little conflict of interest, but uh, yeah, 
no, but um, I don't know. I'm 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 torn on the voting in prison. That one I think needs I need to think about more. But voting after, and I'm talking after parole, after your probation, after your fully first sentence. I don't see why not. Uh, during parole, I also think is up for debate and for question. That's um, I think voting is a, is your right as a citizen, and if you're in jail, you're no longer a citizen. But that being said, America has the most prisoners per capita. Well, that's debatable with China and North Korea, but and Russia and couple a couple Middle Eastern companies in Africa. All right, we have the most. Most likely actual people who committed, not political prisoners. Yes. Yes. So if that keeps adding up, well, something's not right there. And I think voting has the opportunity to change it. And if we've never been in the system, we don't know the horrors of the system, or we don't know the problems with the system, we can't fix the system. But someone who's been in the system might see stuff we're not able to see. So that's why I'm a little bit more in favor of voting after they've served their sentence. But again, parole and in prison, I am. I need to think about more. I quite, I honestly don't quite know because I can see both sides and both have merits and both have major problems. I don't know. I, I think I, I can, I can very, I can very easily see the argument for voting after your prison and parole is up but it's tough to be say the other way right i mean i guess i guess what is like the big pro because like you're you're a ward of the state so you like we said you have it's very easily for a politician to manipulate votes yes politicians say a lot of things but you literally have i mean how many people are in in a prison or like let's say how many people are in prison in the state of california that's not true it had to be a swing state like a swing state, you know, where they go either way both times, I feel like you, there, it's not going to happen because one, you push that through and that state's going blue no matter what, which, so because it's a swing state, they probably have both side reps that they're not going to allow that. Just to give you as up, I just chose Wisconsin just for swing state. Cool. Uh, about 41,000 people are behind bars. And, okay. So Wisconsin, what was the difference in the presidential election wisconsin 2016 i'm just curious I mean 2020 or, oh, oh shit <laughs> what year is it <laughs> but uh my point is based on what the, what i'm thinking in my mind which is what i'm on the fence for is based on what crime you did if you did a minor offense like uh drugs or not armed robbery but just robbery grand theft auto Yes, I can see the ability to vote for then because you're serving your sentence of not having a bunch of other freedoms. Holy shit. Yeah, sorry. I I had no idea the Wisconsin presidential vote was a 700 vote difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. So that uh, 40,000 definitely would have uh, made a big (laughs) difference. But uh, another, what I keep thinking of, if I'm a dictator, I'll just start throwing people in jail if they're not aligning with my views and taking away their right to vote and I can make them all life sentences. But if I have the, if they have the ability to vote in prison, it challenges that. But again, I think it's for certain crimes, which I'm on the fence about. I'm still not completely sold because to me, it seems like if you committed a crime, you're convicted of it and it's proven, you kind of gave up, you kind of give up rights. 
So again, how I stand. I guess is, my my question is: your f- defense against a dictator is voting resistance, Nick. If it's it's hard to, it, if we make it harder, the odds are more in our favor. Granted, you know Venezuela would say otherwise. Venezuela, but, North Korea, China, Libya, Iraq. All all these states have elections every year. I know. I, I I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying. Sometimes a small resistance adds up, you know, a drop tears down a mountain. Well, that being said, how I stand on the subject is after you serve your sentence, you should be able to vote. During your sentence, I think it matters on reform versus prison. If you're being reformed for drugs, like because you have an addiction and you keep using, you got busted having drug, illegal drugs on you, then I can see maybe you should have the right to vote. You kill some people, you are still a killer, you're a child molester, you're a rapist, you're ex- like extreme crimes. I don't think you'd write a vote. Well, yeah, I mean, that I'd agree with that. You know, yeah, if you're if you kill someone, your 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 rights are forfeited. I'd, In prison, uh, I would say if you kill someone, your rights are forfeited forever. I think it depends on the type of killing. If it's uh if it's accidental like a, manslaughter if it's like a nice killing. or no <laughs> no or like a crime of passion like you're not really thinking about it, you're just in the moment that's I can see but if it's like premeditated murder or uh you know gang related or uh you know greed then I can see not be able to vote but if it's like in the moment like you caught you found your wife cheating on you and you killed the guy after you serve your sentence after you say you say you serve twenty years. I think you should get the right to vote again. I think it depends. On, I just completely yeah. depends on the crime. Well, I think this is more a morality question than anything else. I, I understand what you're saying. I, I'll tell you where I agree with you. I agree with you if you haven't killed anyone and it's you haven't raped anyone or sexually assaulted, whatever the fuck you want to say. After that point, if it's just like a property thing or like a money thing, yes, you should have the right to vote. And... I can see the arguments for the life thing, but I also think that I think we should make it so unbelievable. Like t- the taking of a human life shouldn't be something that we like, well, yeah, you know, he was mad. So I guess it's okay. I understand it more. If that makes sense. I mean, I, Pre-meditated I murder get it in the moment. I like, I understand and I understand why it'd be a lesser degree, but at the same time, a life is still it's not gone. great. Yeah. Yeah. But what about like a a drunk driving and you kill someone? You don't get the right the to same vote. Same as in outside, after you serve your sentence, I would disagree with that. Take a, take a life, you, com- lose your rights. I don't <laughs> I don't think it should be that complicated. Like that, I don't I feel like that's a pretty pretty easy one. I I mm, I think it's dependent on how the life is taken. If it's accidental, like um, like you like you're. Accident you unless did the person accidentally get drunk and then start driving? Like they were like, Oh, I'm just in the passenger seat. No, but I'm not I was I'm not comparing the DUI one to accidental. I'm just saying like an accidental murder, like um you weren't really paying attention when you were shooting off fireworks and accidentally. I'll give you an example. So like um uh in Oregon we have a lot of homeless people and they sleep in random places. There's a guy who was mowing the side of the highways and there was a homeless man who was sleeping in a ditch at like 6.30 in the morning wearing all like camouflage stuff. The guy ran him over with the mower and killed him. Do I think that that guy should lose his voting rights and go to prison forever? No. 
Like I don't I don't think that that wasn't something that he did on purpose. Is he supposed to walk in front of the mower for hundreds of miles to make sure no one's wearing camouflage and sleeping, you know, where he's going? I don't think so. But if you get drunk and get behind the wheel of a car, I understand you were intoxicated. Okay, all right. But can I give like you, everyone knows? Can yeah, I give, give you another example? All right. So you and your buddy are wrestling and you push him and he accidentally trips and hits his head on the corner of a table. You committed a murder. Should you lose your right to vote at, after? Do you not get your right to vote back after serving, say, a 25-year sentence? That's very different from a drunk driving. No, I'm not. I was just throwing one example out. I'm not using that example as the hill to die on. I'm just saying yeah. there are different types of murders. Well, I don't think that would be a... I don't know. I don't know, I guess, enough about the legal system. I don't. Yes, I don't think that you should lose your rights for that. See, I think it's, the, I think it's killing dependent. But I think if you do something knowingly bad yes so if you do like some pre-tempted like murder i think you should not have your right to vote no okay but i think negligence counts depend i think that's up for debate but at this point like if i yeah, like if it's i 2021 if, who doesn't know drinking and driving has a chance to kill someone okay well about um a person fucks up doing your brakes and because of that you can't stop and you hit a pedestrian what does the i mean obviously the Break the person doing your breaks would be tried for negligence. Do they think they should not have the right to vote because they fucked up uh, changing the brakes? All right, so there's an actual good one. No, I don't think they should be should lose their right to vote after after uh, after their uh, their time in prison. I just want to make sure I keep that statement there. Right. Okay. I guess I could see that one. Like that was. You know, that's very clearly somebody not doing, but that's, that's not a malicious intent. Like, I don't know. I feel like some things are so common, maybe because I'm not in that world, but I feel like stuff like, like you were talking about drinking and driving and loaded firearms is such like a, like, I feel like you get a freaking flash every day that says, don't do that. But maybe if I lived in there, that world, I can understand it. I was just using those examples off the yeah. top of my head. Oh, I, I know. I, I know. I I I get where you're coming from, and I think that there's yes there's a line somewhere, and probably it's someone way smarter than us already has figured out where that is, but I don't know I I guess it'd, it'd be case by case basis. Oh boy, another government another, board to decide that. Yeah, so you have a government board to decide that. So I guess is that is that the solution? Fuck no. Let the government figure it out. No, I think I I think I'd, I at that point I would just agree with your statement. If you kill if you ex if you got convicted for taking a life, you don't get to vote. I think that would just be easier than having a government board. But uh switching since like we kind of brought it up a little bit, uh another amendment which we both kind of hold here, the second amendment. The right to bear arms. Well, you can't buy or own or have guns on you during probation. I mean, for most probations in certain states, you can't even have knives on you. What's your opinion and feelings on parolees or people after prison not having guns? I would have to say it'd be pretty similar to the voting. It might be more strict. And, and I would think of, you know, if you had a violent crime, a violent crime past, you know, something, anything like armed robbery or anything above that then I would say you probably lose your rights. And and I guess the whole point of, yes, I understand, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm torn on both of these. I understand both sides. 
and I don't quite know where I stand because yes, I understand, you know, the government is doing the reforming and, you know, if you stand behind your product, if you say 14 years in prison is going to make this person a productive member of society, then after those 14 years, how come you're not entitled to all the rights? But at the same time, you go into prison, you get all this education, or maybe you don't, but there's a punishment, you know, there, there's, there's problem, there's consequences to actions. Isn't that punishment and spending 14 years in prison? The punishment is spending 14 years in prison. But so look at it from, I guess, kind of similar to like a store owner, but say you're, you sell firearms, right? So if you sell a firearm to someone who you think is going to commit a crime, you were liable for selling that firearm to them. So if I sell a firearm to a violent criminal, even if they're released and they commit a crime, you know, obviously you can't sell firearms to criminals because of our current legislation. But if they just got rid of the you can't sell that to criminals, it'd be the same thing as checking the box for jobs. No, no gun salesman would sell, would risk losing their FFL, their federal firearm license, selling firearms to criminals because they're not going to risk their entire business to sell a firearm to a criminal who's had a violent past. Because the first thing they're going to do is take that and sue that person and say, this person had a violent past. Why'd you sell a firearm to them? And, and yes, I understand that they've served their dues, but it's kind of like, do you want to be the guy? <laughs> do you want to be the person to give them that firearm? Right. And, and the thing is, and this is what's crazy is, well, I'm more likely to let them vote just based off my personal feelings where they can vote for a person who's going to send a bunch of Americans off to war than I am to let them own a tool that they can use for bad to kill a few people. And I understand that. I am also torn on this. I think a person should be able to defend themselves. But at the same time, if you have a known history and it's a repeated history... So I want I want to point this out. Uh, based on your release, whether it's a one-time offense, what type of offense, how often you repeat, and your uh, your criminal history, I think there are all factors on how I weigh my decision. I think if it's a non-violent crime, maybe a waiting period after being convicted, so you still get the punishment after the punishment, which sounds kind of bad, but it's better to be safe than sorry. So. Like we said, we had a 77% rate in five years of going back to prison after being uh, released. So maybe after that five-year plan, it maybe will lower the chances of you being convicted uh, or chances of you doing another crime again. And that now that we know you did a trial period that you can actually make it back in society. Maybe then, if it's a nonviolent crime, give you back the rights to uh, a weapon. Um, that being said, some assault charges I've seen on people, I would not call an assault but yet they get convicted for it so that is something to take a note again it's no system's ever gonna be perfect so if that has to be done so be it but for nonviolent crimes after say a trial period of like three to five years i can see you being by being able to buy a gun again that kind of that kind of makes sense to me okay i like that i like that idea especially because okay so let's so you Let's say from prison you do your education and you get a job. 
if you have a steady job or, you know, move jobs a few times, but on your own accord, not being fired from jobs for, for something, you know, like if you can prove after like the first three years that you've, you know, successfully reintegrated into society, I feel like go right ahead. Also, guns are expensive. And plus, like like you said, Nick, with the fines and stuff like that, if you can afford a gun, you're probably getting a really <laughs> well-paid job. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and the major factor, um, one of the major factors that we haven't talked about in recidivism is prior drug abuse. And so while you're doing your parole or probation, whatever it is, if you're holding down a job and can passing your drug, passing piss tests, you know, for those first three trial, you know, years, depending on whatever program you're in, I feel like that that's pretty good. I mean, I feel like, you know, you can't hide most things for three years. Yeah, that you need could be serious wrong. commitment to hide stuff for three years in my mind. But before we transfer away from uh, the right to bear arms, one I thought was really interesting was knives. Um, there was one, a uh, pr- parolee who was got a job as a security officer, which I thought was <laughs> a little ironic, but his parole officer told him he's not allowed to have a knife or taser. He's only allowed to have pepper spray. And a lot of states, you're, if a parolee is found with a pocket knife on them, they can be, automatically be sent back to jail if the parole officer or officer wants them to. And I, I'm a little cautious about this because you got to give someone some right or some way to defend themselves a little bit. I mean, not even a taser. And I, I want to get your opinion on that too, Nick, of, yes, they're still serving their sentence. Yes, they still have to pay a price if they're a pro. I'm talking about prolees, not people fully off the program and stuff like that, only prolees. Should they not have the right to somehow defend themselves if they're going to be introduced into the real world? Because a lot of these prolees end up in the same neighborhoods or not in the best case scenarios. So are all of them only be allowed to carry my, uh, mace? Or should they be allowed to have tasers and pocket knives? Or a multi-tool at that point, even at that. I mean, I think a multi-tool is a good compromise because... They're a bitch and a half to open when you really need them fast. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but also just the practicality side. Pretty much, I live in rural America. Nine out of ten people here has a multi-tool, if not on them, inside of the pickup like pretty close to them. I mean, it's just, I would say same here too. Yeah. There's, there's things that need cut regularly through our life. I mean, fuck if you, if you have an Amazon account, you're probably cutting things like two to three times a day. If you live in <laughs> a, like a populated area, people, you know, you're getting your food, groceries, food and shit delivered, all that stuff. I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, I would say again, nonviolent past, Yes. No, I, I have no problem with nonviolent offense to like, you know, maybe like, a, like you're saying, like a minor assault, like a fist, like a bar fight, whatever the fuck went wrong kind of deal. But anything about, like I, uh, like I said previously, like armed assault or armed battery, anything above that, I'd, I'd hesitate to say, you know, maybe just, just, just the mace. Uh, I mean, I can, if I throw another caveat there, bear spray is not good. <laughs> I was going to say also their mental history. I well, We haven't talked about that, but I think that's a big factor for everything we've talked about. 
like if they have like bipolarism or anger issues i think that's that's a heavy heavy uh heavy thing to uh put on yeah and again essentially all we're doing is just reinventing the parole board where they look at their mental history their past how their behavior in prison and then deciding whether they can or can't do certain things i feel like well sticking with the parolee um things that i thought were interesting is well this kind of makes sense to me you can't travel out of state uh unless approved by your parole officer that makes sense to me they also restrict who you see so you not be able you might not be able to see your girlfriend because she has a prior history of being a drug addict so you're not allowed to see her at all or your brother who was also convicted for an x amount of crime which i thought was quite interesting i also thought it, this is after your parole officer your parole term is done is since it stays on your history it also sits with your passport so traveling to different countries and getting visas are hard because a lot of countries will deny you because you have a felony or stuff like that so you if you're trying to better yourself and travel the world and see what this world has to offer you might not be able to but i want to start with restrict on who you see i understand where they're coming from but that seems like a weird thing to choose uh i yeah i looked at this too and i kind of agree with you and i i kind of get it and i guess the caveat that i think would make sense would be so say like you're a drug dealer you got or sorry (laughs) say you were convicted for dealing drugs I could see, you know, don't deal anyone with like a drug former associates or of in that former yeah. any any former associates, but maybe an exemption for family unless it was all in the same, you know, like if you were, if mob. you and your brother, if you and your brother were selling drugs together, then yeah, I I can see that. But if you were arrested for selling drugs and your brother is arrested for robbing somebody, then okay then maybe you can see, you know, see family or something like that. But definitely, I mean, former associates should be a a no off the bat. Well, I, I agree with that, but even if it is family. Well, I agree with, I'd say. I I agree with that. For the period. Well, I agree with that, but I saw a contradiction with this is say you get out of prison, you don't really have a place to go, you're on parole, you live at your old neighborhood with your family. Well, you're going to run into old associates simply being in your old neighborhood, running at the grocery store, going to the park. How, and if a parole officer sees you or a cop sees you at the same time that's happening, you go to jail. And I don't really see how that's fair. It's like uh, getting a restraining order uh, against Walmart when you live next door to a Walmart. It's not exactly, the, the logic is there, but the execution is poor. I mean, so... If you have no Are choice we, but to go you, back do you home. Think it, so what are you supposed to do? Move people to other parts of the country? I understand. Like, no, I simply say I say don't punish them if they run into associates in a public setting. I can see punishing them for a private setting, but not public setting. Well, all you're going to do is encourage people to meet in public places. But that's fine. More eyes means less chance of crime. That's true. I don't know. I... I, I, I was just trying to find a... Yeah, I mean, that that is a better solution. Like, I understand that. I would say there'd have to be something in there about, like, chance encounters. Like, if I go to the grocery store every fucking Tuesday 
and I see the same person, I have a five minute conversation with them every week. That's where it starts to get sketchy, right? Well, that's that. That's it's, not coincidence. That's planned. Is it? It is. Or, but I go to the grocery store pretty much every Sunday. What if that other person goes to the grocery store every Sunday? But if you were at risk of going back to jail, would you not somehow switch up your schedule so that wouldn't happen? Maybe. But that's exactly, and this kind of goes way back to, the, I guess, one of the points we maybe haven't touched on is the the understanding of consequences. So California enacted the three strikes rule. Oh, shit. What the fuck year was that? You probably, do you ever come across this? Do you know what year I, it was? Oh, God. I thought it was like 2008, 2010, somewhere, somewhere around there, I thought. I could be mistaken, okay. but I do. I am familiar with that rule. So basically, you know, one or two strikes, and but at the third, you're in jail for life. I, th- uh, much, I think it's important to on... note that these are felonies, not misdemeanors. Felonies, sorry, yeah. Um, but it didn't deter crime, and what the psychology found is that the reason is because these people committing the crimes, they don't, they're not thinking about. What am I going to miss out on? So the the thing that right now prison is only effective if you buy into the system. One of the things that deters cri- me from doing crime is shit. I'm not going to make money for five. Whatever the fuck. I'm just going to use five years because I'm not making up years to explain everything out of time. I'm not going to make money for five years and be away from my wife for five years, blah, blah, blah. But the it doesn't deter people because people who commit crimes, they don't think that far ahead. They tend to think very short term. So it. Like when asked why you would they, these people would commit crimes, knowing full well they'd go back to jail for the rest of their life, a lot of them were just like, "Yeah, I didn't think I'd get caught, or I didn't care." It was like I said, that's more on our education and our uh, prison system more than the people. Well, and not to bring completely full circle, but I guess my my question about education in prisons, you know. 14% who received a bachelor's degree didn't go back to prison. No, only What if only we just 14% spent that money? Right, only 14% went back. Sorry. Really good percentage. But it seems really good. Like, what is it that our primary education system isn't doing that these prison education systems are doing? Is it bad? I feel like there's a plug right there for one of our episodes, Nick. <laughs> I'm just... It's. It seems like... I understand, like, don't get me wrong. It makes sense. The more, you know, the more education, the more opportunities you have. Now, but most likely those same people who would teach those primary, that primary education you receive as a kid are going to be teaching that secondary education you receive in prison. So what's the difference between those two? And is it, and I guess you're right, this does go back to our education episode. We talked about the age of, you know, going to college as a, kid versus adult kind of deal but it's just like the education system failed once why why suddenly is it doing so good is it because we're forcing people to sit there and listen to it or is it because now they've they know that education provides opportunities i don't i don't know i'm just spitballing so from what i understand is the education system and prison systems are voluntarily they're not mandatory i also think people the, the same system does not work for everyone so Going to kindergarten when you're when you're five years old or four years old, that the system doesn't work for everyone. Some people are quite literally late bloomer bloomers, or some people 
just don't have that mental capacity. They're they're mouth breathers, to put it politely. So it takes them longer to understand. And I'm not saying like a higher education. I'm just saying maybe when they're older, they understand, oh, maybe I should learn how to read and write. Maybe something simple. Uh, maybe not higher education, but just the basics. Or maybe like, hey, it's been, it's sucked to just stare at my wall all day. I'm bored. Might as well go do something. Instead of being bored in a classroom growing up, they're bored not Try in a in a prison cell trying to figure out what to do, so they go to the classroom instead, and I think that might be the reason why education increases in prison. If it does increase in prison, I'm not sure. This is my guess. No, I I mean that's that's pretty reasonable. I mean I I agree, and I definitely like the results speak for themselves. It does seem across the board, state to state, red state, blue state, purple state prison education systems reduces recidivism like i don't really think that that's a that that's up for uh, dispute uh, from what i've seen i mean do you guys know something else let us know on youtube or instagram or wherever but uh, to me yeah education seems pretty pretty rock solid i just i just find it weird and sad i guess that you know the first time didn't work i guess you didn't lay bloomers and stuff but you know once you're in prison you're even if you get a good education in prison, probably not as good as a good education outside of prison. I just have to imagine. Oh, I, I probably agree with that. I mean, especially when you have any as much tools. Like, uh, imagine going on field trips in museums. You don't get that. <laughs> you definitely don't get that when you're in prison. No, <laughs> definitely not. And, uh, yeah. Then the other thing is, you know, about education in prisons is, you know, during during the pandemic— and uh online classes have really taken off and i guess the question is a lot of people are saying online classes aren't good enough for prisons but i guess to that follow-up and this might be more of a political question than anything is if online classes are good enough for for kids why are they not good enough for prisoners especially when you can you know go back and watch them again and, and do all that stuff at at their own leisure it seems like that's like a really you know if we're talking about cost-saving alternatives I mean, that's the most cost-saving alternative, if I had to imagine. Nick, there's that thing again. You're making too much sense. Damn it. This time you got me. <laughs> well, See, we, we just keep using logic, and it's it's not working. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a weird statement to say out loud. Logic's not working. Well, I got another one for you uh, for parolees. Uh, it's testing positive for drugs and alcohol and slash being late some minor offenses not granted some of them are you know doing heroin and crack and all 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 those ones but some of them are just weed and booze with those offenses you could be sent back to prison when you're on parole i understand if you're in a halfway house that makes sense to me i understand also if you're late multiple times but if you're late once or twice i really hope the parole officers aren't doing that i imagine they got to be pretty decent human beings to do that line of work but it doesn't seem right that you're able to send someone back to prison for being late now completely missing is different but being late is a hard one and since i brought up testing drugs i have this question for you nick if a person is say convicted of having possession of marijuana they serve their sentence 
and there's and say it was a bad offense like they had a bunch they tended to sell or some 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 way or turned out to be a felony so they can't vote they can't uh own firearms except they have a hard time traveling etc etc but then all of a sudden weed becomes legal do we remove that tendency on them because they were convicted of a crime that no longer exists because the crime became what they got busted for is now legal now i'm i'm not saying like selling drugs uh point i was just making a point of like some way where they got a felony for something that became legal do we get well i feel like there's a when you do that normally on a broad scale you pardon the people who were had done it before but uh, also sometimes they don't again government um <laughs> i feel like that's a joke just like when you're disappointed or sad you say government who is John Galt? <laughs> oh, now you're talking dirty to me, Nick. Yeah. Well, and I understand that, but at the same time, uh, like I was listening to uh, the Unpacked Project. It's a a bunch of like parole officers talking about parole and you know the kind of their experiences. And after listening to that, it kind of turned my opinion because some of a lot of the times these bars are not set very high, like the person has to be ready to go from the prison at nine. Cause that's when like the bus comes They have to be ready for work or something like that. And so it's just like, they're like, Nope, no, I didn't feel like going to work today. It's like you're in, you're in prison. You, this is like your, ch- like your chance. Like if you don't want to do this, like then don't do like, don't sign up. I don't know. A lot, of, a lot of the stories they were telling, it was like, they're really trying to help these guys, but they just didn't care. And a lot of the bars were not were not set very high. Like one is just like have a steady job for a month and then they could have no employment for the next two months and they couldn't hold a job for a month when the parole officer got them three separate jobs. Oh, I'm not disagreeing with you. There are definitely and it's like, losers. I I agree. And it's just like it's gotta be so like like you were talking about earlier, it's gotta be so frustrating to be a parole officer and you're working your ass off and this guy just doesn't care. Yeah, like you're saying, being late, for, like, I, shit happens. I mean, like, I don't know. I feel like I'm a, feel like I'm a pretty, not trying to toot my own horn, but I'd say I'm a, a average to above average employee. I'm probably late like three to four days a year, by like five minutes or if I'm five, I'm later than five. Later, uh, I arrive at work later than five minutes probably like three to four days a year. But I feel like it's not that hard to get to work on time, especially like if your literal rights depend on it. I feel like it shouldn't be that big of a problem. Now, you there should be, you know, car broke down, get out of prison, don't have money to buy a good car. I, I get that. But I feel like a lot of this is like chronic stuff. So a couple of things. One, completely agree with you. Some people will just are losers. No matter how many opportunities they give you, they gave them, they will never swing at the ball. Uh, that being said, those people could ruin it for the ones who are actually trying. So it might piss off a pro officer and someone who's late be like, nope, you're done, even though they didn't mean to it. It's a terrible, it's not, it's a terrible situation, but it does happen. Uh, secondly, you didn't answer my question on if you're convicted of a crime, you still don't have your rights. Do you think those people should have their rights back again? And then the, sticking on with you know small offenses drugs uh, i see drugs more as a mental health not dealing only using wait hold on sorry 
I don't want to get too far ahead. So the question and answer was, if you're convicted of a crime, do you get your rights back? Is that the follow-up to the question of if the crime was then un... Yes, that was the, that was like, if the crime yeah, became... Yeah, then a- yes, yeah. So like, if they if they legalize marijuana tomorrow, the people, I agree, the people should be released and their rights should be reinstated. Okay. I think that's pretty reasonable. You would think so, but I heard a lot of mixed opinions on this one, actually. The other one being, I see drugs more as a mental health problem, less as a crime problem. So if you're, you know, did your sentence of, say, I don't know, two years, now you're on probation, and you get busted doing drugs again, maybe go to, maybe, I mean, again, there are a lot of actual tools for these parolees or people released from prison, but maybe better systems where we treat it more as a mental health issue than just simply try to get them clean, maybe try to get more psychology in them. Maybe it's just lack of funding. I can't remember what country it was. It might have been Madrid in Spain. It might have been Portugal. But they reduced their entire drug use for their entire country down to like 7%, if I remember correctly, or something like that, because they treated it not as a criminal offense, but as a mental health issue. And I'm wondering if that would be effective here in the United States of don't, hey, you did your sentence of fucking up and, I don't know, doing meth. And you're falling back to the same track. We're going to send you to this center. It's a rehabilitation center. It's not a punishment center. Oh, damn, I'm just I'm just coming to the realization that we it's a whole other op, whole other podcast of do we need punishment or do we need rehabilitation? Nick, we got like four more episodes out of this podcast. Yeah, well, that's a one of the books I was listening to for this podcast was a oh, fuck, I forget it's called something about something in punishment it's like one of the it's the book that explains the history of crime and punishment through the united states history from the beginning of the country till now i guess quote unquote trans quote unquote transition from you know punishment to reformation and it's not a completely smooth transition i guess i haven't finished it so i don't know how it ends i mean it ends present day so i guess i don't know how it ends but (laughs) but uh but yeah, and but you know, so that's like I said, I think that is a whole separate issue of what is the purpose of prisons? Is it to punish or is it to reform? I guess it depended on the crime, but that's a whole other episode. And, and it depends on who who's answering the question too. So who knows? And yeah, I'm not. I don't want to get into it here because it's already a long podcast, and we could probably go all night on that. But yeah, there there was other things I kind of want to talk about unless you had to keep going on this uh no i kind of i kind of answered my own questions by rambling on but no please go go ahead um so one of the other things like we talked about is we talked about the very beginning of how prisoners as soon as they get out they owe money to the state and we talked about like the crews or the prison crews to do the wildland firefighting and other jobs and there's a lot of debate on should prisoners earn money in prison. And a lot of debate is, one, the state is taking advantage of, you know, quote unquote, free labor. You know, they're housing and, and doing all this stuff, but they're getting free labor in return. And the, usually the prisoners, I, I think, and don't quote me on this because this is just like bullshitting conversations that happened at legitimately three in the morning 
after I'd been up for multiple hours. But it's just, I think they get like a few cents an hour or something when they're doing work. Not much. I saw 10 cents. There you go. Something like that. Um, glad you had a real number. <laughs> so, uh, but, and everyone's like, well, you know, they just, they use them. It's slave labor. And I, I hate this term because it's fucking stupid. But yeah, slave labor. It's like, you know, and I hear a lot of, you know, people who used to be on this cruise complain about it and like man it's crazy they take out shit for taxes they take out shit for rent they take out shit for food they take out shit for clothes and i get it but also i do it all the time (laughs) i fucking hate taxes (laughs) yeah well well welcome to to fucking real life (laughs) but at the same time you know what what are they supposed to pay those guys like fucking 10 bucks an hour they're the, Should they make more the than a waitress? Being, yeah, the reward is being not in prison and gaining a skill. And, you know, they work for the state fighting fire, so they're giving back kind of thing. And, you know, they're, like we said, food, clothing, all that stuff is paid for by the government. So, yeah, I understand. Could it be more reasonable? Maybe, you know, probably. What that wage could be, I don't... I. If you have a good answer, let me know. I don't really want to get into it because that seems like a whole I thing. I think I have one. Um, so a lot of prisons they have commerce, so you can buy like I don't know Cheetos or 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 Kool Aid or you know uh, smaller items at the, uh toiletries at the like a like a kiosk. Yeah. Maybe you set up their wages so they like after they work a week they can you know buy like a few things from there, and that's how you set the price. Of like how much you're paying them. Well, I was thinking more they work to build up money so that they can pay off the debt they owe to the state, most likely from whether lawyer fees, tax, all that. Oh, shit. that's a lot better. So when they get, <laughs> that's a lot better. So when they, so when they get out of prison, they're not in debt. <laughs> they're not in debt. Oh, that's a lot better than mine. I like yours better. Just uh, maybe not have. God, I can't even imagine of serving. I don't know, say fifteen years, and. If you don't pay back all these fines, you go back to jail. Like, oof, that's a tall fucking order. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that I want to talk about is, you know, I, one of the big problems that, that I listen to or listening to both the people who were formerly incarcerated and the parole officers, police officers, people who spend time with these people when the, in their reentry programs is, both sides have said this exact phrase multiple times of, I wish they would view me as a human being. And it's kind of ironic, I guess, that both sides are just like, man, I wish they just fucking treat me like an adult. Right? And I, I get it. Like, don't get me wrong. If you're in prison for something, you have to accept, like, one of the main complaints is, they strip search me and all this stuff. And that's not like how humans should be treated. And I, I understand that, but at the same time, there's punishments for going to prison. And I, like, I feel like that's something that's expected of if you go to prison, I, I feel like I knew that from a very young age. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but, uh, one of the things I was thinking would be a solution is, give the corrections officers the chance to participate in any of the education systems the prisoners are doing because the prisons talk about how great the education systems are because it brings prisoners of all separate races and whatever the fuck who normally would not, I don't know, interact with each other because that's how 
lines break down in prison is racially for the most part it seems like that it gets them interacting reducing confrontation well what if you also had you know a corrections officer who wanted to get his associates or whatever the fuck in there as well interacting with all these people it humanizes them i don't know i'm sure there's other ways but it's just like you know if you're going to give people who are in prison this opportunity let's not let's give those corrections officers that same opportunity to improve themselves even if you know it's a class that maybe that doesn't really help them but they're interested in it so i mean educate free education that's not the the worst perk i mean there's the education the they already screw over the corrections officers like those guys have to pay for most of their own shit uniforms boots handcuffs and all that stuff like most of them pay for all that themselves it's not supplied to them yeah i i think another this is gonna sound kind of kiddish but ride-alongs i mean convicts are sometimes smart and sometimes very good at what they do Maybe we could use that to prevent more crimes. Maybe turn the tables. Maybe show teamwork together. I mean, the best way to form bondship is either through trauma or mutual enemy. So in my mind is, hey, get a ride along together and you can help us catch this guy and, you know, because some days turn off your sentence or, I don't know, participate in the basketball team where it's, you know, guards and convicts versus a different prison. So it's it's our prison versus their prison. I don't know. Maybe, I, I don't know, some interaction. But I don't know if that's quite possible at an adult age for the conversation between uh, convict and parole officer. Or not parole officer, officer. That might be beforehand of, say, if it's an adolescent or a first-time offender. Yeah, well, I think a lot of the people... A lot of people who are like career criminals, they tend to have a lot of interactions with the police beforehand, before they're finally incarcerated. I forget the number, but I, I think it's like, it's at least five plus. Now those aren't, most likely aren't always good interactions. This is going to be a little off topic, but, but did you see the yep. the repeat offenders on some being some of the most charismatic people? Like they are smooth fucking talkers. Well, I bet you gotta you gotta get out so you can get back. Yeah, in. that's. I don't know why. If some like a like a fallout picture in my head of charisma plus one pops in my head every time I think about uh, repeat offenders. <laughs> that's fucking. That's what I was thinking. Too. <laughs> you fucking maxed out your specials. <laughs> yeah. No, that's. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, the whole actual prison system is a whole episode in its own, but life after prison, it's pretty stacked up against both the parole officers and the parolees and the people released. And this this does, and I, again, we'll probably do an episode on the prison system because it's a very broad topic. We could touch that a little bit on it here. But one of the things that was very confusing to me is is the disconnect between... Uh, the quote-unquote prison industrial complex versus jobs because a lot of people who are against the quote-unquote prison industrial complex are a lot of that is getting jobs for prisoners and most prisons are public and the big uh, lobbying group is actually the prison uh, union and reducing like the impact of prisons reducing prisons and all this shit a lot of it is just not letting these prisoners work jobs 
So just whenever someone's like, oh, it's like the prison industrial complex, like look at the issue and say, is this like a, a prison who's trying to outsource their you know prisoners to perform tasks, which will not only benefit the community, but also, you know, those guys learn skills and, and yes, someone's going to make money off of it. Maybe it's a state, maybe it's a private company, but I'd, me personally, this is my opinion, you know, if someone, some asshole wants to make some money off these guys, whatever the fuck, I'd rather they walk away with a skill they could get a job with at the end of the day, I guess is what I'm saying. Make the worst of a bad situation. I don't know. It, is it going to be 100% perfect every time? Probably not. I mean, government is heavily involved. I don't know what you want us to do. Yeah, don't know that one, Nick. That's a that's a dangerous thing that that government. It's a it's a it's like a hydra. Cut off one head and another one forms. But I yeah, I don't know. It's just I was like uh, there's a lot of, you know, anti-prison industry and and I understand where it's coming from but at the same time you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right? It's 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 like, you know, we like we just talked about, you invest $1 more in each prisoner for education, you save 4 to $5 down the road, which makes sense. But look at it in a political ad. They're paying $1 more per prisoner. That's 500,000 prisoners or, you know, 300, that's 300,000 more tax dollars a year. Like, that's how it goes out. Yeah. That's uh, spinning the story, and that's that's a that's a different conversation. That's news coverage, politician coverage. That's very different than what the actual conversation is. So, just when people are talking about this issue, throwing out buzzwords, do your own research. I stand by the research me and Mike did here today. I think we laid down some good facts, some good points. If you have something you want to let us know. I'm sure we forgot something. Oh, I can't stress to do your own research. Just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I'm just saying, do your own research. The research we did, I feel astound. I am proud of what we did, and I would go to bat with it. But, again, you know, the only two hands you can trust are your own. But, before we get too far away, Mike, what are you reading? I am reading still Tales from the Ant World because life has been busy, and I don't think I've had the opportunity to get eight hours of sleep in a couple of weeks, so that's what I'm still reading. What about you, Nick? What are you reading? I am reading Wood and the History of Wood and the, or the History of, it's called Wood, and it, the title is like the History of Wood and the Production of Civilization, or some, something about that. Basically, how wood impacted the growth of civilization. So, which right up your alley. You could not write a uh, a better book, I guess. Huh. And out of curiosity, if they want us to tell us what they missed on a life after prison, because there's a lot. It's you gotta give us some break, people. There's a lot. But if they wanted to tell us their opinion on it, or just suggestions on future episodes, where could they tell us, Nick? You find us on YouTube or Instagram. Um, message us, comment, whatever. If you have something you want mentioned, let us know. You know, if we miss something important, please let us know. And can they find us on Twitter? I cannot stress enough. How Twitter's like the government and always how, fails. I cannot stress enough how much if I got a prison and I my first and it was either Twitter, you know, spend an hour on Twitter, or spend an hour at the DMV, 
how fast I'd go to the DMV. <laughs> oh, God. That's a good one. I think on that note, we got to end it. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.